Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Matters podcast. I'm Stuart Norton with the Alabama Center for Real Estate at the University of Alabama. And uh, today we have uh, Selma Hepp joining us as a guest. Uh, Selma is the Deputy Chief Economist for Logic. Uh, so welcome to the show, Selma. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this. We'll get into some housing market trends and all that. But before we do, just uh, could you just share a little bit about yourself, You know, your background, your professional experience that's led you to your current role with CoreLogic? Yeah. So, um, you know, since finishing my PhD uh, at the University of Maryland, I've been a housing economist uh, in a professional role for about 15 years now. And I've been at various roles representing, uh, for example, real estate agents, consumers. I worked at a government agency. I also worked at uh, private and public companies. And most recently, about two and a half years ago, I joined CoreLogic as a deputy chief economist. And so, you know, what's been wonderful about being at CoreLogic is just the wealth of data that we have here. So I've been able to keep a pulse on the market um, ever since the pandemic started, and, and, and that's been quite exciting. So I like to talk housing data all day long. <laughs> okay. Well, well, yeah, same here. I, I work with a, a lot of what I do is with uh, Alabama-specific data. But yeah, I'm really excited to hear, you know, what you're seeing in the housing data. And so real quick back to uh, so core logic I mean of course I you know hear about it all the time never personally used it could you just tell us a little bit about the platform Yeah, so CoreLogic is a property data platform. So we collect all types of information about property, including sales activity and anything that you can collect in a property records data. So all property uh, details, uh, transactions between buyers and sellers. We have MLS data where we track uh, home sales activity and other things. Uh, That's sort of the pulse on the market information point. We also have information on origination of loans and performance of loans as well as mortgage applications. And then we have a spectrum of data concerning climate change, actually. And and that's been the one that we've been expanding quite a bit. And so we've developed the hazard risk score. So for each property, we're able to tell you the probability of certain risk of hazard risks, such as uh, wildfire, tornadoes, flooding, um, and, you know, number of other ones, unfortunately, that are happening these days. But yeah, so we just have everything that one would want to know about a property. Yeah, well, that's interesting about the hazard risk. I'm in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Got tornadoes or likely and flooding. But uh, do you live in California? I do. I actually live in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have earthquakes and wildfires. <laughs> yeah, different set of hazards out there. But uh, but have you had any wildfires close to like where you live? Uh, close enough. I'm in a pretty urban part of LA where you know there's not a lot of. Uh, trees or shrub and things like that, where you see most of wildfires happening is more wooded areas, you know, and and areas. So I think, you know, I'm protected in some sense because there's a lot of wide streets around me. So, you know, a fire sometimes doesn't jump over wide streets and highways. Um, So while it may happen that we have a wildfire in Inland Empire and sort of east of us here, it's unlikely that it's going to reach my area in Burbank. You know, L.A., I've never been there before, but I want to go out to Joshua Tree National Park one day. But it sounds like, you know, you go east of L.A. and it's pretty much desert, not exactly wildfire terrain. I guess a lot of that thinking more of the northern part of the state. 
Right, exactly. So that's where we do see most of the wildfires happening. It's a northern part of the state. But then, you know, just a few years ago, we had a wildfire just a little bit east of here in the, so now I'm forgetting the name of the mountains, but, uh, you know, it, it, areas that that are generally desert areas. Right. But, uh, it, it gets so dry that the wildfire picks up anything along its way, you know, that it, that it can burn on. And, you know, so there were some electrical wires that came down and they ignited the fire. Oh, wow. and, and so, you know, you could have that as well. And, and yeah. the inland part that you were talking about, Joshua Tree, is really, really dry. So, you know, so some of the areas where there is housing, there is a potential wildfire risk as well. Yeah. Yeah. And now that I think about it, the, the plant life, the shrub brushes and all that. Right. Exactly. Well, very interesting. So yeah, so kind of getting into the housing market, it's a, it's a very interesting time in the housing market. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on. (laughs) A lot going on. I mean, ever since the pandemic started, you know, there's, you know, every every month is different in some way. But, you know, we've seen particularly a notable change in the housing market since mortgage rates surged in March of this year. So we went from extremely overheated housing market conditions to now a notable cooling across many markets in the in the in the state, in the country. Yes. And so we maintain a a sales database Mm -hmm. that we get our the information from MLS groups, we'd like to kind of expand to pull records from, you know, the local courthouses, but that's just kind of been an ongoing effort. But here we've seen slowing sales, but in the South region as a whole, you know, sales are down, you know, they're kind of back to pre-COVID levels above the five-year average in a lot of markets. But how about the West region? Has sales slowed down more significantly in the West than they have and maybe in the Sun Belt or the South? Yes, exactly. So most notable decline in sales has actually been on the West Coast markets. So for example, LA being one of them, but anything, you know, that's very expensive and coastal in coastal areas. So largest, some of the largest declines have been in Seattle, in San Francisco, San Diego, LA, uh, even Riverside, which is a more affordable part of California. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, the areas in the South, you mentioned Southeast, they've done actually relatively well in comparison, at least to the West Coast markets. And there we, as you mentioned, what we see is normalization of trends back to pre-COVID trends. So, you know, I think the affordability challenges in West Coast are really constraining that activity while there's still a lot of uh, affordable markets left over in Southeast and South. And, And that's why we continue to see relatively stronger home sales activity. Yeah, that's all very interesting and makes sense. And so just speaking of affordability, because, yeah, I mean, it's a tough time for buyers right now, you know, with, you know, price growth, it appears to be moderating now, but it's still elevated. Combine that with interest rates. And so, yeah, so affordability is just, you know, it's taken a big hit. Just curious, what is a starter home in L.A.? What are the price? I know that's a, a, a what would the <laughs> price range be? I'm just interested. You don't want to ask that question. Oh, OK. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, I'm, I mean, just because it's so so much higher than anywhere else. I had a feeling. It's about a million. Oh, my. For a starter home. OK. For a starter home. Yeah. In, in more urban part of L.A., you know, L.A. County is a really, really it's one of the largest con- counties in the country. OK. So obviously, if you go to more remote areas, um, you know, you, you can get home for cheaper. But if you are remaining in an urban area of of LA, it's still a million is a starter home. Wow. And what a three bedroom, two bath or? 
Well, you're lucky if it's a three bedroom. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's about you know twelve to thirteen hundred square feet. Uh, we have a lot of smaller homes, older homes. That's really where you can um, sort of gain with affordability is if the home is older and if it hasn't been renovated. Yes. Um, you know, so but you know what's interesting in LA that's happening right now is that we've come up with this new zoning rule where on any single family lot now you can put up to four units. And so because of that potential to build more units, that's being capitalized in home prices. And so it's really challenging to even get that starter home nowadays because a lot of investors are coming in and snapping up these larger lots because they know that they can put more units on the lot. Right. Speaking generally, you know, because of course, you know, building to rent's a, a big trend. You know, it's always been there, but it's gained a lot of steam over the last few years. But are those builders, generally speaking, are they building to rent? Or I'm sure they're doing a little bit of both, building to rent, but also building to sell. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're doing both. They are either, you know, taking out this older home and building, you know, like four or five units of townhouses, or they're just adding like a single, like, like single smaller units, but they are equally turning them into rentals as they are into to purchase. But, you know, one thing that plays a huge role here is that if a current property is before 1978, then it's a considered affordable property. So say you have a duplex mm-hmm. and it's built before 78, and that's now considered an affordable property because it's so, so just by the age of it. Right. You cannot take that down. Like you cannot oh, take okay. down the affordable housing stock. Uh, so you can yeah. just add to it. So if you have a lot with a duplex, they may just add another two units that created, a, you know, four units on a lot, but you cannot tear down the affordable. You okay. know, and, and they would have to remain also affordably priced units as well, given that, you know, overall property lot is affordable. That makes sense. And so to what degree, like the permitting process and say, you know, well, when it comes to affordability, you know, we know that it's eroded a lot recently. I'm actually reading a pretty interesting book about uh, housing affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Poor Side of Town and Why We Need It. It's interesting, but it basically, you know, a lot of the affordability has eroded since World War II. And a lot of it, the theory is, has to do with, you know, zoning, building codes, et cetera, just sort of adding to housing cost. And that's not really the, the intent of whatever program. But zoning, is that an issue in California? Like, I mean, just like getting the building permit, is it kind of generally a slower process or a more costly process on the West Coast than it might be in other parts of the country? Yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely burdensome to build in California. You know, we are we are sort of a poster child of a place <laughs> where you don't want to try to build anything because it takes wow. so long and it's so expensive. You know, there was actually studies done that looked at the cost of just getting the lot ready with all the permits and a zoning, you know, everything you have to go through the, uh, through the process in the city. And they said it costs $400,000 just to get the lot ready. <laughs> wow, the dirt, you get it ready to build. Wow. Right, right. So that's why, you know, when you compare market like Alabama or other Southeast markets and California, you know, you guys are building much more, uh, adding much more new construction than we are here because it is easier to build and you don't have as many restrictions. It's not as costly. So hence more affordable housing in your part of the world. Yes. And and also land costs, you know, because uh, they're pretty much up across the board. And here in Alabama, it's kind of a a lot of the growth in the state. The Gulf Coast, a lot of people don't know, you know, we have 52 miles of beaches here in Alabama, nice Gulf. uh, But Baldwin County, 
it's one of the faster growing parts of the state. And then also Huntsville. I don't know if you've heard anything about uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Really a growing, uh, it's a growing area. It's uh, about a half million. You know, it's a small, it would be a small uh, metro area, you know, half million population in the metro area, you know, compared to about 1.1 in the Birmingham area. But other, uh, but other, yeah, like Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, of course, and even a lot of growth like in Arizona in the Southwest, Arizona and New Mexico, it sounds, mm-hmm. and Utah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, a lot of new construction has been happening in areas that saw a lot of population immigration, you know, so people from these expensive coastal West Coast markets, as well as people from, you know, New York and those expensive Northeast markets have been moving to more affordable markets, whether that's for affordability or tax reasons, or maybe even, you know, just because they want to live in a warmer climate. Right. It's been an ongoing trend that we saw even uh, prior to pandemic. Now that got exacerbated during the pandemic, where we saw a lot of people moving to markets in Southeast. um, And then also the markets you mentioned, such as uh, Utah and Arizona and New Mexico and even Nevada. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, you know, and again, I I think for West Coast markets, one important uh, factor is taxes. You know, California tends to be a little bit uh, more expensive in terms of taxes (laughs) where you have no income taxes in for example, like Nevada, you know, and so or Wyoming. And so we've seen. So it's really interesting how these um, these trends are uh, emerging, you know, and how people are making decisions now because they are able to work from home. Because I think if we, w- if we weren't able to work from home, we wouldn't see the same level of uh, migration. But but we are seeing it because people can now work from home as a result of all the advances during the pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the more notable you know, things to emerge from that is that, you know, of course, a lot of people are back in office. Uh, and I'm, I'm personally kind of glad to be we, we got back to the office rather quick. You know, it was a few months, you know, we were out of working from home. I enjoyed it for about two or three weeks. But then I started to miss the little things. Mm-hmm. You know, it has its perks. But I, I started to realize, you know, I kind of enjoy my commute. It's only 10 minutes, but I put on a podcast or some music and things like that. But uh, but yeah, but yeah, work from home, it seems like, you know, it's definitely the pandemic, uh, you know, let people realize that, you know, that it can be productive, you know, people, uh, I just continually, I'm just surprised, you know, just number of people I, you know, run into friends of mine, like, Oh, I didn't, I had no idea you were working fully remote, but it's, uh, mm. but yeah. And so back to the pandemic, uh, so the pandemic housing boom, that's pretty much done, huh? Well, I think so at this point, you know, home sales activity did peak last year in, in 2021 at over 7.5 million home sales. This is total. This is not just MLS. Okay. Um, and that was uh, the highest number since 2006. And, you know, we, we remember what happened prior to uh, after 2006. <laughs> so right. it was a 12 uh, year uh, peak. But a lot of 2020 home sales were driven by non-traditional buyers like investors, for example, or second home purchases. And so I think a lot of these folks are now exiting the market because it's much more expensive and costly to uh, own, own a home, particularly if it's a second home. Um, and investors may, may not necessarily, um, you know, th- they may be fearing that home prices will decline at some point. And, and so anyways, for a number of reasons, we're seeing fewer um, investors in second home purchases. And so, uh, and also fewer people, traditional buyers, particularly first home first-time home buyers who are no longer able to uh, afford a home because now uh, ex- mortgage expenses up as much as 50% just since the beginning of the year because mortgage rates have gone up um, 
300 plus basis points. Um, So, you know, so yeah, I think we, I don't know when we're going to get back to this level of activity, probably not anytime soon. I mean, we'd need uh, first population gains, then we'd need income growth, and we would need more new construction to to get to this level. Yes. uh, Yeah. And it was kind of like the the perfect storm, not that it was a storm, you know, I mean, it's just the market was running its course, you know, during the pandemic housing boom. Uh, and I like how you mentioned, you know, home sales are normalizing, mm-hmm. uh, but you could also say that interest rates, you know, are normalizing because, you know, the super low interest rates and in the pandemic, I moved in May of 2020, uh, our family did. And we just got, we got lucky with our timing, you know, and the reason we moved, we, we actually decided to list our home uh, on right around mid-February 2020, <laughs> you know, about a month before everything. Uh, but we were outgrowing our home. We have two small kids. Um, but we got three and an eighth, you know, and I remember because they even got below that for a while. But, you know, that's historically speaking, that's but I guess all that to say that interest rates are normalizing somewhat. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because those hyper low rates are just, you know, that, that obviously can't last forever. Right. And, and you know, you, you're right. That was another factor that fueled uh, home uh, acti- home sales activity last year as well, because we we came, we got to all, all record high, low, sorry, all <laughs> we got to like record low mortgage rates. And, um, and, you know, so that helped people gain some affordability, right, where they were maybe not able to purchase before. Now with these mortgage, low mortgage rates, they were able to get in. So that was definitely another factor that helped uh, fuel the demand for homes. Sounds good. Well, uh, well, kind of shifting gears into home price growth. Uh, I stay on, you know, I follow a lot of the national trends. Um, and, but it, you know, home price growth, it appears to be moderating, you know, it's still elevated, uh, double digits, I believe, uh, but it's moderated a, a, a touch. And so, uh, so what's your forecast for housing prices, uh, for the remainder of the year and also for 2023? So today we, uh, Case Schiller came out with uh, uh, Case Schiller CoreLogic SP S&P CoreLogic uh, Case Schiller index, which showed a slowing of home price growth. So we are definitely on a downward trend in terms of home price appreciation. And in our forecast, we have home price growth slowing to about six percent, which is a long-term average a year from now. Okay. Um, and so you know, so I, I think it's you know it's going to slow considerably. Uh, you know, by the end of this year, we should be probably in high single digits uh, at the rate that we're going right now. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting is that many markets still do remain at 20% plus of uh, annual home price appreciation. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, there is some uh, bifurcation in markets between very expensive markets that we talked about and those more affordable that do continue to see strong home price appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, and so back to affordability just for a minute. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, because rents are also, I think I read a report recently, but on average rents were up about 10 to 12% from a year ago. And so, and it's just even harder. I'm just thinking about the challenges for a first time home buyer. You know, they don't have that equity, you know, they're competing with, you know, existing homeowners who probably have a pretty good equity position in their home, given all the recent growth. Uh, but yeah, but rents are up. Inflation makes everyday goods more expensive. So it's all it's it's even harder to save for a down payment, it seems. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very challenging at the moment. And you're right. Uh, our, we have a single family rent index that we uh, put out every month. And in the most re- recent index, uh, single family rents were up 13 percent, which wow. is, you know, it also four times the long term average. And, and so what's interesting is, you know, with people keep saying that uh, young families cannot afford to buy a home, so they will go to single family rent market. Uh, but because we haven't been adding enough in new construction is in a, overall in the uh, housing supply, um, you know, that's putting pressure, that increased demand is putting pressure on single family rents as well. And especially now with investors coming in and, uh, per- you know, buying up pot- uh, properties that could potentially be for purchase and turning them into rentals. And so, you know, there's all these forces at play right now that are just making it very difficult to either save for a down payment or even, you know, foresee owning a home in the future. Right. Uh, do you think there's any relief inside in terms of uh, affordability? Well, I think um, what helps right now is that we have fewer buyers in the market. So mar- the market is less competitive. So instead of you know competing with five, six offers before, now a potential home buyer is only competing against one or two offers. So you know, so there's less competition, and as a result, there is going to be less bidding wars. So that will help. I think in terms of mortgage rates, uh, I don't see them coming down anytime soon. You know, uh, hopefully. Yeah. Not going to go up much further. I I do think that um, after the June's Federal Reserve meeting, we've seen that surge in mortgage rates, and that was probably most you know all of that was going to happen, uh, and has been coming down since. So our long longer term of you know over the next couple of quarters, our forecast for mortgages is to remain about where they are right now. So in that sense, we we won't have any relief. But maybe a year out, you know, maybe if the recession in fact does happen and Federal Reserve does, you know, reduce uh, federal funds rate again, we may see um, some more affordability coming in. But, you know, really, it's it's really we really need more new homes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The total. Yeah. Because that's that's one thing that pretty much every uh, community uh, in the country has in common. There are very few communities that have an oversupply of housing. Yes. You know, if you just look at the total number of housing units, I mean, it's not keeping pace with population growth, you know, and that's pretty much all across the, you know, across the nation. Uh, we deal with that here as well. But one, yeah, the only relief I can really see in sight is that fortunately, you know, with the cooling of the market, um, it's helped supply, you know, supply is now, it looks like it's gradually trending upwards, you know, which is just means, you know, more options for buyers, you know, as you mentioned, fewer bidding wars. And so, at least supply is trending up now that demand is cooled a bit. And that will, you know, that you would think eventually that, you know, it's still difficult buying conditions, especially for first time buyers. But that additional inventory has to help a little. Yeah, I, I do think that that does help. The unfortunate uh, little trend that we noticed over the last couple of months is that since mortgage rates surged and demand pulled back, sellers also pulled back as well. Okay. So, so yeah. new listings are down on a year over year basis. You know, we have increase in active inventory just because there's buildup. You know, from right. yeah. uh, earlier months this year. But but I am concerned that uh, new listings are declining on a year over year basis because even last 
last year we were in, at you know at a very uh, at a long term low. So to be even lower from that, that's really concerning. But I think that's you know you were mentioning how you got into your home at a very favorable rate, and you know now home prices are twenty percent plus higher, and mortgage rates are higher. So I think sellers are thinking you know I, I'm in a good position right now. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, if they do list uh, the home, we've seen more price reduction. So they may be afraid that they won't get exactly what they were hoping to get, you know, so they're waiting it out until maybe, you know, some sense of stabilization uh, comes into the market or, or demand kicks back in. You know, I don't know what the, exactly their perspective is on the market, because some people sure. think that they were going to go in a full downturn in a housing market, which I don't think it's the case. Um, but but never, nevertheless, I am concerned that uh, new listings are down and, and that, you know, won't help with the right. um, availability for those young buyers. Yeah, that's a really good point there. Uh, and so uh, so kind of shifting gears to the new home market. Uh, and so home builder confidence, that's something that I track, you know, on a monthly, you know, every month. And, uh, and it recently dropped below 50 uh, in August. I think it hit 48 or 49. Um, and so, uh, so what... Um, any uh, any thoughts on the new construction uh, new construction market uh, and what you know any trends in the data that you've seen unique that are unique? Yeah, I think what's happening with the new construction is they 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 faced particularly challenging situation given the supply disruptions and uh, because of the supply disruptions and inflation, it's it became very difficult to price a home and to to understand when the home is going to be finished and go uh, be available for sale. And so as mortgage rates started surging and people that were in contracts no longer can afford could afford those. Homes, after they are finished, you know, they, the builders saw a lot of cancellations and I think that discouraged them quite a bit. And probably they were thinking back of 2008 era when, you know, the new construction market collapsed. And so they started pulling back. Um, but, you know, I think supply disruptions are going to improve and you know, they are already improving. And so they will have a better outlook on how to plan for their uh, portfolio or their, you know, their um, their uh, availability of, of homes for sale. Um, I think we're just in a very difficult situation for them because of these two factors and, you know, kind of timing everything has become so challenging. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. For a long time, you know, with the supply chain, it was uh, appliances. Mm -hmm. And I think that's gotten a little better, but it's still difficult. Um, and then just like furnishings. I mean, I've heard it anecdotally. Uh, I was visiting a neighbor, you know, but they're they're still waiting on their couch, <laughs> you yeah. know, the the final couch to round out their living room. I hear it's really difficult to buy, uh, you know, depending on the type of furniture, you know, it's uh, but but yeah, uh, but yeah, hopefully those supply chain uh, disruptions are getting a little better. And uh, one thing that kind of struck me from uh, this was the most recent new home sales report, um, but it looks like at the national level, there's about I think there was eleven months of supply. And so uh, in the new construction market, I was kind of surprised to see that. Uh, and so relatively oversupplied at the national level, that's probably another reason why the home builders, you know, just aren't feeling as good as they were. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that has to do with those cancellations. You know, okay. they, they, they had people uh, sign contracts when mortgage rates would maybe 3% and then they could no, no longer qualify at 6%. Right. So I think the cancellations really, um, you know, they, they, it, it, was, it was something that nobody really expected mortgage rates to surge so fast. I was surprised too. Yeah. Usually it's like a slow taper upwards, but we didn't get that. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, you know, if you asked me at the beginning of the year where I thought the mortgage rates would be, and we didn't think they were going to go beyond 5%, you know, a lot of forecasted professional forecasters had them at four and a half or, you know, somewhere around there. And, and so, you know, the, you know, so I think they just lost a lot of people along the way because of the increase in mortgage rates. But again, I think that's going to, you know, now, new people who can't afford unfortunately you know those folks that can't afford are out of the market and you know that that is a challenge that is a problem for you know our uh, society because you know all the wealth that we build we build through equity and if one just cannot buy a home the question is how do they build how do they build wealth you know and how do they how do they move that up that um, social and wealth ladder but um, you know going back to the supply I think that supply now may be you know even even sold to investors because I heard uh, anecdotally too that um, builders are now selling that inventory to investors. Um, Okay. So I, I don't think that oversupply is going to stay around for too long. And uh, I've also uh, anecdotally um, just heard that, you know, because a builder, you know, building a home, it's obviously, you know, a long, there's so many variables, you know, the cost of your materials, uh, you know, and can the buyer afford, you know, the, the, when, when you're signing the papers, you know, you don't really lock in the rate until you, till the home's completed and it's purchased. Isn't that right? Right. right. Uh, yeah. But I, I've heard it anecdotally that many builders, you know, they just come back to their buyers and they're like, hey, you know, we agreed on this number initially, but I can't build it for that now. We're going to have to add on, however, you know, maybe 5% or something. And, and people understand that, you know. Uh, and so, of course, you know, some people might walk away, but many people, I'm sure, have agreed to those escalate, you know, to, um, you know, the, the initial budget was off just because they couldn't, for, you know, they, they didn't see uh, the, the supply chain disruption hitting and all that. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, reading the headlines, you know, uh, I see some headlines here and there, you know, housing bubble on the horizon, this or that. Do you think a housing bubble is emerging? Well, I think, you know, that was a question that came up a lot at the beginning of this year. Like first three months of this year were some of the most challenging and most competitive housing market that we've ever seen. And just to give you an example, um, eight in 10 homes in most markets sold over the asking price. And that just tells you how many people were actually bidding for that many homes to sell over the asking price and that, and that at significant premium. Uh, But again, mortgage rates just changed the dynamic in the market. And now we are more likely to be talking about housing recession or housing downturn and questions around uh, home price declines than we are about the housing, about a housing bubble. So, you know, we really are in a much different market right now. Absolutely. Yeah. My, um, you know, my take on this, uh, you know, what do you want to own during times of inflation? You know, mm-hmm. it's real estate, a pretty good asset, uh, especially during times of inflation. And so, um, and the housing bubble articles that I mentioned, you know, if you read, you know, it'll talk about slowing home sales, but then at the end, you'll see that, well, home prices are still stable. So when I think, when I hear the word housing bubble, I think about prices because that impacts 
people that are actively buying and selling, I mean, that's only what maybe five or 10% of all the housing stock, you know, most people are not in a position to buy or sell. Uh, and so all to say that what's on most people's minds, you know, is my home going to decline in value? And I just, I just don't really see it for now. Of course, you know, I could be wrong about that, but, uh, but I just, it's just hard to imagine, you know, home prices declining during a time of inflation. And I guess we also have to see how long will this inflation last? It looks like that's getting a little better. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't. We also do a forecast uh, of home price appreciation, and in our forecast, I think I mentioned it earlier. We have uh, home prices coming to a uh, that long, long run average of about four, five, six percent. Um, and so, yes, I mean, I think you know, on one hand, we do continue to have very uh, constricted uh, inventory of homes for sale. On the other hand, you mentioned inflation, and also the need, um, the need to you know, for more space, um, because, you know, in some markets, people do continue to work from home quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the other thing is demographics, too. You know, we still haven't worked through the entire cohort of millennials that were tur- turning age 30 and were thinking about buying a home. And so, you know, I have a lot of friends that, um, you know, are older, much older millennials, probably not even millennials, probably even Gen X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but they are, you know, they are very interested in buying a home if they're there was a home available for sale. So, you know, right. inventory is the, the inventory, low inventory is keeping a uh, floor in a sense on, on home prices. And that's why I don't think home prices will decline. Um, but in some markets, you know, they will definitely flatten out and maybe mm-hmm. adjusted for inflation, they will decline. But, you know, it depends on the market and depends on many other things like, you know, population growth, income growth. What happens with the job market? Do we enter recession and we see a lot of job losses or not? I mean, we're doing really well right now in terms of um, uh, the uh, the job market. Uh, But the question is how, you know, what happens a year from now? Right. Yeah. And that's a good point you make about, uh, you know, current uh, millennials, you know, or people that are basically in their late 20s and early 30s when, you know, marrying, having a family, buying a home. And so that, so fortunately for the housing market, that, that is a strong demographic tailwind, you know, that one of the larger, I believe I've read that, you know, Americans that are, you know, currently in that, you know, late twenties, early thirties, it's one of the larger generations in history. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, and so that demographic, you know, of course it depends on many other things, like you mentioned the job market. Uh, but that just the fact that that's, you know, one of the largest maybe the largest generation in history are in their prime home buying years, you know, that definitely has to support demand to some degree going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Selma, I really appreciate you uh, joining us for the podcast today. I thought we've had a lot of uh, really good discussion about, uh, about the housing market, what's been happening and, uh, and what might happen going forward. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up the episode? Um, sure. Maybe one thought, you know, I, I think, you know, as you were talking about the housing bubble and, and I remember that, you know, people always uh, think back of on the time of post or during the Great Recession, right? 2000, from 2006 to 2010, when we had, you know, collapse in home prices and then subsequent uh, yes. a foreclosure crisis. And I think people often, you know, revert back to that and think, well, God, is that going to happen again? Um, and I think one thing that, 
you know, it's so important to keep in mind is that we are in such a different um, position as in terms of our balance sheets, both households and businesses uh, have really, really good balance sheets. And as a result of home price appreciation, a lot of people now have equity in their homes. So even if home Indeed. prices do decline a little bit, they still have uh, they, their own upside, you know, as they say, as, as they say, so they have a home uh, equity in their home. And if they're forced to sell a home for unfortunate reason or, you know, they lose a job, they still uh, are likely to walk away with some cash. So it's not right. going to be a foreclosure. Um, so, you know, I think while the economy is slowing, um, it shouldn't revert back to what we saw during the, the Great Recession. You know, I think we're in much stronger position nowadays to to weather a slowing of uh, U.S. economy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree entirely with all the points that you mentioned about how it's just totally, it's incredibly, or, you know, it's totally different today versus, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, and then also lending standards played a huge role because I even remember the commercials from like the early 2000s where I think it was Ditech, but they would, they advertise that they'd loan you like 120% of your home's value. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, and, but basically giving, you know, borderline predatory lending. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, lending standards have tightened significantly. And so, yeah, I just don't really see a foreclosure crisis happening either. Right, right. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, thank you again for joining us, Selma. This, is, uh, this has been wonderful. We uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it too. If you want to check back in at some point down the road, let me know. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. All right, well, hey, Uh, Thanks for listening, uh, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Matters Podcast produced by the Alabama Center for Real Estate. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Podbean, or just ask Alexa to play the Real Estate Matters Podcast.